on, shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Come on, shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Welcome, everybody. It is January 10th, 2023, and that means we have brought back your favorite podcast, Fear and Loathing in Cinema. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the hosts with the most, Dan Moran and Preston Barta. What's up, Dan? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just here to get a little startup money, seed money. I'm trying to get some diamonds to start my space satellite laser company. And I'm just here to talk to you guys, see if you want to be angel investors. <laughs> I am an angel investor in this diamond laser company in space. But uh, yeah, Fear and Loathing and Cinema, the podcast where we go back in time in our DeLorean and we find a movie that may or may not have been, you know, critically successful, critically panned by its audience and professionals. And we revisit it to make sure that it is still awesome or not. We've done Rocky Five. We've done Speed Two. We've done Jurassic Park Three. <laughs> it's been it's been a little bit, but we're bringing it back in 2023. Uh, so glad to be doing this with you again, Dan. Uh, it's been a minute, and yeah, Preston, I'm excited. I'm excited yeah, I'm excited to too. Back. Yes, and Preston's here along for the ride, and you know, I'm Toby McGuire in the back seat. Yes, Toby McGuire in the back seat. This is goddamn backcountry. <laughs> and uh, yo, this was good because Preston texted me and he was like, "We need to fucking talk about Congo." And I was like, "The Congo or the '90s movie?" And he's like, "Yeah, the '90s movie." I'm like, "Dude, I have this podcast already set up. We haven't done one in a while. Let's do it!" And within a few days, here we are. Correct? Yes, thankfully. <laughs> oh my god congo i am so excited to talk about this the 1995 version of congo okay so first off i was 13 or 14 years old when this movie came out uh Preston, how old were you in 1995 five or six so okay. but i saw it in theaters and it did have a huge impression on me to the point where whenever i do bath time I would do uh, act like I'm getting hit in the throat and like blood was coming out of my mouth like Tim Curry. So it, it had a huge impression. <laughs> it did. Dan, how old were you in 1995? I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> when Combo came, I was 10. And um, as we've discussed before, previously on the Jurassic Park 3 pod, that I was obsessed with jurassic park all things dinosaurs all things cryptid all things animals and i think that got me down um a, a michael Crichton um rabbit hole and so i remember trying to think i guess at 10 i probably could have read this book but like asking my parents can i please read you know congo what's this all about and just trying to be into it but i specifically remember talking my, my parents into taking me to this one and thinking that it was the bee's knees if you will like i, I thought this movie was so good as a kid Wait, so you what? read the book or to watch the movie first? I had to have read the book after because I okay. don't think I was in at 10. I know I wanted to because um, the book was everywhere. I mean, back then you'd see a movie would be coming out and the book would be all over the place. And and I remember reading, I went through all of his books, probably in early middle school. So 13, 14, 15, I remember reading all the Jurassic Parks and everything. But this was really my avenue of realistic science fiction and i use the word realistic very loosely but between jurassic park and congo i was like all about these movies yeah you're like screw philip k dick let's do this <laughs> yes <laughs> like why are, why aren't we using animals to scare people why are we sticking yeah. other things well it's crazy because so congo you know was a book that came out authored by Michael Crichton back in 1980, but Michael Crichton rose to very, very big fame with Jurassic Park, especially when the movie came out a cut like in 93, um, 1993. Congo came out in 1995. And so with that success of Jurassic Park, 
Michael Crichton was like, every book is going to be optioned into a movie. Congo has got apes. It's got people. Let's put them together just like dinosaurs and people. And it's almost weird. And I mean, no, it's not almost. It is weird and strange that Spielberg was not a part of this movie because you have Frank Marshall, you have Kathleen Kennedy in the roles of director and producer of this film, those are Spielberg's right-hand people. It's Spiel, I mean, you have to agree. Do y'all agree that Spielberg had to have shown up on set at least one day and given like one note? Probably. And he had to have seen this. I wanted to, I want to watch him watch it. That would be great. <laughs> so, yeah. Sort of like a mystery science theater, 3000 Spielberg yeah. commentary track on Congo. <laughs> <laughs> like is he given like really good notes or is he just like frank's my friend i can't crush his heart i don't know it had to be a combination of these are the people who are producing my movies moving forward so i don't want to hurt any feelings but also i'm gonna get some money off of this no matter what so i better i better just be nice about this one yeah spielberg's like uh I don't want to put my name on it. Uh, I don't want to stain my filmography too much. I mean, coming because we're coming back to it. This is what the podcast is all about, coming back yeah. to it. This movie is a lot of fun. It just is. Plain and simple. It's fun. The characters are kind of zany and wacky and even kind of the evil people you – you don't like, but you kind of like, and we'll get into Tim Curry because that role is just fucking layered. Like that guy is that a character is amazing. Uh, all, all the small roles are layered. Even the cameos that are in there for a second, like Delroy Linda, we'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, when right. they pop up, you're like, we need a whole movie about them. What are they up to? Right. Right. That's what, the, I mean, it seems like there were so many avenues for this movie to go by, but again, back in 1990s, most movies were 90 minutes to a hundred minutes. Not like today where they're 150 minutes, like the shortest basically. So we don't get a lot of time, but oh man, was this movie so much fun. So coming into Congo, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, I'll start with Dan. When you first saw this movie in 1995, Dan, did you have big expectations when you came out of it? What did you think? Talk to me. Oh, like I said, my 10-year-old self, I probably thought this was the greatest movie that's ever been made. I mean, it had it had the science fiction aspect. It had a talking gorilla, if you will. Um, now I appreciate the gorilla is, is a connoisseur of fine cigars and martinis but back when i was 10 i was like i would love to have a friendly gorilla who hung out with me and now we're going on adventures for diamonds we're getting attacked by albino apes that were bred to protect diamonds i mean that movie was awesome so i'm sure i loved every single second of this movie coming out when i was 10 years old because i specifically remember also owning the vhs because it has a very mm -hmm. memorable vhs cover so i knew i know i had it in my collection growing up and i just I probably haven't seen this movie in 20 years and going back and watching it the other night, I remembered so many pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Like a nostalgia. Oh, I remember this. Oh, this is when they jump out of the plane. Oh, I remember this. And so I must have seen this movie multiple times as a kid. I loved it. Okay. And so Preston, same question. Did it shoot nostalgia all over your chest or dare you, um, <laughs> or, uh, or what, what, what did you, what did you, think about when you first saw it as a kid did you see it when it first came out when you were that young or did you wait a little bit till vhs no i saw it in theaters uh probably for the same reasons because i think they were marketing it as like you know from the same author as jurassic park and that's what caught me and i was really into animal stories just as dan was saying with like dinosaurs and everything that's kind of what drew me in uh any any sort of like Jaws of it, I've talked about on other podcasts was a huge part of my life. And just so, yeah, anything that was animal related, some beast story or something like that going in the jungle. Mummy's a huge part of my life now. And there's a lot of like parallels with with that film with this. Um, so, yeah, watching it, I, it, same same thing. It had been 
many decades it seems probably i guess 20 years as well um since i've seen this but i i remember specific scenes like i was calling them before they popped up i was remember certain lines a lot from ernie hudson and especially a lot from uh oh, what's that guy's name the guy that plays richard that uh grant grant husloff oh yes um, yes yes like th- there's just like little things with like him, like even the way that he phrases certain things, like he's like the panicking uh, Benny uh, guy from like the mummy a little bit besides like the malicious intent. But he <laughs> the way that he's just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like it, it just uh, so, so hilarious to me. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty special to go back and watch it. Even if uh, watching it with an adult eyes, you can't help but get just a, a little bit critical with it. Um, right, right. There is that, you know, because interestingly enough, when that movie came out in June of 1995, I had already seen Army of Darkness, which changed yeah. my life. And so to have Bruce Campbell in another movie was like super big for me. <laughs> and you were so disappointed, weren't you? No, I was real excited because I'm like, damn it, he's here. And then, of course, you know, you're just like, okay, of course, he's going to end up that way very early on because it's him. But I was, I, I was mad about seeing this movie. Not like, not mad, but like, you know, just mad in the sense of uh, the definition of very excited and happy. I just, I had to see it because of Bruce Campbell. Not only that, I share that with you, Preston, about animals and then Jurassic Park, especially because still Jurassic Park to this day is the movie I've seen most in theaters. Like, I think I saw it nine or 11 times, pun intended there, um, in the theater when it came out. So I was very big into the Crichton, into the animal aspect thing. So Congo was definitely on my list and I saw it and I loved it. It was scary. It was great. I thought it was funny in parts and my, you know, teenager mine loved it especially bruce campbell and then of course i believe i owned it on dvd and watched it but i mean it's been 20 years so uh watching it again i had a ball with it and i couldn't help with that critical eye you mentioned i don't know if it was so much as more as critical as much as i was like man if this were made today if i feel it would be much scarier than it was like even like certain scenes that were done back then which i'm happy they were done with practical effects but i can't imagine it being done having that little sizzle let let it burn slower for Mm -hmm. a scarier moment than it was in this film but again it's like 90 minutes you got to get through it Um, there's like two different tones that they could have taken i think at the time they were so focused on like trying to recapture the success of jurassic park that they wanted to maintain that tone but watching it now especially with like bruce campbell in there at the front i was like man how great would it have been if they were just like uh competing heroes between him and like captain monroe kelly the entire movie would have been fantastic and especially like bruce campbell bouncing off of tim curry's lines as this like twirling mustache uh snake oil salesman type it it just would have been so much better if they had leaned into like those comedic aspects a little bit more they're there they're surface level a little bit like they're just there enough to make it very enjoyable but if they just would have went more with in that direction i think it would be even more or i guess i don't know if people consider this a cult classic but uh if it had gone in that direction i think people would be talking about it a lot a lot more uh, it would have some serious legs but uh <laughs> i just j- just this like line between like trying to be a little goofy and serious uh probably didn't do it too many favors at the time if now going back to watch it we can appreciate it for what it is yeah dan do you agree what do you think i don't agree i mean this was if people don't know who are listening this was the Crichton was running hollywood at, at this point it seemed like everyone was optioning his novels non-stop in the 90s because i yeah, like, didn't it was like speak- it's like King was out and then uh, he came in. And then it's like, you know, Rising Sun, like all these, all of his movies just started in the 90s. People were fighting over it. And I think that there was such a rush to grab these movies that this one, while I enjoy it, 
definitely would have benefited from maybe an extra couple months in development or figuring out how they wanted to adapt it. Because as Preston said, they, they could have made this a really scary, intense thriller with a couple of winks to the audience like Jurassic Park. Or they could have gone in and really just made this a lighthearted um, kind of old adventure romp that doesn't take itself seriously. And it's competing interests, the whole movie. I feel like there's a couple different movies going on here and a couple different actors who are part of a different movie where, yeah. where I mean, there's almost, you know, there's 25 minutes of this movie that's just a buddy comedy about two dudes raising a talking gorilla, which it feels like... <laughs> It was like an 80s rom-com setup. Like, oh, what does your boyfriend do for a living? Oh, he talks to a gorilla, you know? <laughs> well, they make that joke in the movie about everybody. Yeah, it's him and his wife. So it, they do, I, they might have been aware of that. But yeah, I mean, that that moment, it is like a couple movies rolled into one where you have these two people raising a gorilla and the gorilla is bringing flowers, walking through a like a college campus lecture hall, drinking martinis, <laughs> smoking cigars. And it's just, it's, and it's, she's so cute. It just can't help it. And meanwhile, on the other hand, you have two almost nefarious, supposed to be nefarious people going to look almost predator like um, for <laughs> missing people or diamonds or whatever, but they turn out to be just not bad people really at all <laughs> and who is the villain in this movie it's supposed to be these gray man monkey ape things and it feel like they're just caught in a bad position they're just there to protect things <laughs> and yeah, dude, i felt bad what yeah at the time when i was a kid i was like yes they got a laser they're cutting off limbs and stuff and you watch it now you're like they're just doing their job, man. <laughs> y'all are the idiots. All y'all deserve to die. It's like go watching Jaws as a kid and then going back to watch Orca as an adult. And you're like, yes, Orca. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, do y'all get that sense that who is the real villain in this movie besides, I guess, the owner or the CEO of uh, oh, Joe Don Baker. Yeah. Joe Don Baker, uh, the, the owner of uh, like was the it telecommunications PT or something company. like that. PC. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, he is an asshole for sure, but he's all, he's not on screen. Like, but for like what a minute and a half of the entire movie. <laughs> he's just, he's just sending people in to die. That's, yeah, that's, that's what makes him, that's what makes him even more of an asshole. And he does it with the gusto of like, yeah, this is my big board meeting moment. Like, you get in there and you find these diamonds. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> there. Everyone you're sending in here is dying. Also, don't you have like a corporation board of directors? You have to run this up the chain to. We are literally losing resources <laughs> trying yeah. to get these diamonds. But it's 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 great how the movie starts out because you have these two characters, Dylan Walsh um, as a guy named Peter Elliott. Dylan Walsh, of course, one of the, you know, nip tuck guy. Um, and then his uh, assistant, Grant Hesloff, who you would recognize in um, True Lies mm -hmm. and a bunch yeah. of everything else, Argo and everything else. But uh, they are they are propositioned by tim curry who um is a romanian guy who says he has a lot of money but has no money is going to bring back this monkey from the states to the wild back from home but under all of his plans he wants to go the diamonds and then along comes laura lanae who works for this company called Travicom is there to not only get diamonds, but find these people who were there looking for the diamonds um, to see if they are still alive after the first scene of the movie shows them kind of dying mysteriously. So, but what's great about that is that Peter Elliott and his research assistant have no idea what's going on through most of the movie, you know, at least for the first 30, 40 minutes. They're just like, I thought we're bringing this monkey back to Africa. And literally, no, they're just part of this whole thing. And it's funny to me to watch it now because the kind of 
turmoil they go to. They're constantly being shot out of the sky and being shot mm-hmm. at and being eaten. And they just <laughs> signed up to like, hey, this rich dude wants to bring this monkey back. Yeah. <laughs> that part cracks me up, you know, until they meet Ernie Hudson, who, damn, Ernie Hudson, you're so amazing. But I got the feeling that your accent came and went during this whole movie. <laughs> it turns on and then it turns off. And I can't quite place where his accent is. Doesn't matter. He's an everywhere man. <laughs> well, what was his, yeah, yeah. I love that line that he has right when we first introduced him. He's like, I'm your white savior, but I just so happen to be black. <laughs> right, right. That was such a good line. Dan, what do you think about that first 30, 40 minutes of the movie of just these two characters just being thrown into a bunch of chaos and having no idea what's happening? And and that's the problem. I'm not a problem, but with what we're doing, we have to allow the movie to be its thing. Because if we really broke down <laughs> the plot or the pacing or the character mm-hmm. of this, we would all just lose our minds. And so there has to be a suspension of disbelief. But in what world, even in the mid-90s, are we releasing like partial robotic talking gorilla and why would these guys fall for this thing i understand they're all plot mechanisms to get them there but the first 30 40 minutes of this movie is again all over the place it's a couple different movies and finally they all get together and that's when it's it's congo time baby once we're on that plane it's congo time but before that it's um a corporate movie it's a rescue movie it's a nature movie it's all these different things together and it finally gets to the, the point where we can all be moving towards that mythical pyramid protected by albino apes. Right. Okay. So moving forward with this story, did it strike you after 20 years of seeing it that kind of like the big climax of the film or like supposedly, allegedly the villains of the movie the big gray apes don't show up until like the final four minutes of the film (laughs) yeah i couldn't believe that uh going back to what because i i think i it's kind of like when you go back to something from your childhood and you're like man this was so much bigger when i was a kid and you go back and watch it now you're just like yeah it, it seemed like it was such a big part of the movie and then it really really wasn't i think that's what makes it so where i have to put on my critics hat a little bit where like you have it's like the meat of the sandwich isn't that compelling like at least with like jurassic park which does a a lot of the same things but um there's a little more momentum with its climax and it was a little bit bigger, but all the sciencey stuff was at least really compelling here it's just like you got a really ridiculous uh tycoon guy who's just wants to i don't uh take the dominate the communications industry and that's it and like maybe they want to use it for communication purposes or maybe they want to make weapons for military industry i don't i don't know it's just not quite quite the same so it just wasn't as interesting to me watching it, but I was still compelled, I guess, a little bit by the characters and their overall ridiculousness. <laughs> Dan, do you think that showing the evil gray gorillas in the last four minutes was a good thing or a bad thing? Well, far be it for me to question the great Frank Marshall, but <laughs> he could have <laughs> taken, taken some cues from Jurassic Park which they are clearly riffing on. Not, I don't want to say ripping off, but they're, they're, that's what everyone was trying to do, make a new Jurassic Park. And that movie built the tension. You had the early scene with the raptors where you didn't see the raptors. You had the baby raptors. You had the first T-Rex attack. It all built. It slowly built. And in this one, everyone's just kind of walking around, jumping out of planes, walking through the jungle, and all of a sudden albino gorillas and we're gonna get rid of these albino gorillas in five minutes and it hurt it there wasn't a moment earlier in the movie where what are these paw prints yeah these these are much larger what's going on or someone gets taken who goes off to pee and like scares us we see that point of view just something to build the tension of there's a threat out there that we're worried about 
other than the Bruce Campbell scene in the very beginning. And by the time you're an hour into the movie, I don't want to say you forgot about the Bruce Campbell scene, but the yeah. tension at attack has been undercut by so many, you know, drinking martinis. and <laughs> Like it, you're, you're fearing more the civil unrest that's going on. That's like, yeah. Well, yeah, that's it what just... it is. It's it's protecting them and Amy. And I guess and, and I'm going to say that the paw print thing, the gorilla print, I would say is a good thing not seeing that just because it seemed like those gray gorillas were only living in that one little like village that, you know, Solomon's mine thing. And they were keeping to themselves because, again, I feel like these gray gorillas were not bad. <laughs> Just whoever like, came in there to steal, okay. they were gonna. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an easier one. No paw print because they're gonna stay where they are, keep them good guys. But find like a, a carving near one of these tribes that's just like, oh, you don't want to go to that region. Stay away from there. And an old map, like make me fear this place, um, more just to build that. So when we finally get the reveal, we're like, whoa! Instead of, yeah okay, what's this all about? Instead, they're like, they were bred to be protectors. Now they're all cut in half by Laura Linney with a laser sword. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. You need some some Blair Witch sticks up there or something. <laughs> you know what would probably would have raised the tension a little bit and they could have explored more, it could have upped the body count is if they had competing industries from different parts of the world that were trying to get these diamonds. And then it could be like, we could focus on different characters and then uh, more people would die. And that just would have, would have done it. Uh, Cause yeah, it's, it's pretty void of tension outside of the, the civil unrest that's going on um, in that, in that middle section, all, well, I guess leading up all the way to the last couple of minutes. Right. Right. I mean, and there's only, I, I'm, I'm remembering kind of three big action moments not including the opening scene with bruce campbell but we have to talk about that i i completely forgot after the last 20 years but the hippopotamus scene oh yeah and i remember the hippo scene being a big thing when it came out uh because that because everybody was like everybody loved hippopotamuses and but they're like after that movie everybody's like dude hippopotamus are mean and scary and that moment i feel when i brought up earlier that if this was made a day, it could have been scarier and much more suspenseful. That scene in particular kind of just happens. I yeah. feel like if it were made today, that hippopotamus scene would might be one of the most suspenseful scenes of the year because yeah. of how it could be told today, right? Yeah, it would have been much longer, I think. Like maybe they would have had some character that lived near that area that was just like, it's more than just the apes. It's all the animals around you that it's nature that just kind of keeps you out of that area. So that would have made it, they could have kept that momentum going there. Right, right. No, I, I like that. And, you know, kind of like I'm thinking, you know, of most horror movies or even, you know, Batman begins when you first, when Batman is first Batman and the thugs are in like the train depot and one is, quietly snatched away really fast i was like man what if this hippo scene just like quietly snatched somebody you know just like what's happening but yeah. what what we got was still scary and i'm glad they used a practical mechanical asshole hippo <laughs> for it but uh that scene just like was like 20 seconds and that was it and then it was smooth sailing after that but i wanted more yeah. i wanted more stakes during that hippo scene dan do you agree I think I think we're we're hitting a theme here where we wanted stakes in this movie. We we enjoyed there's pieces of it, but they it, they rushed it. It felt rushed. It felt like a response to the success of Jurassic Park and the impending Lost World, which I'm sure everyone knew about at that point since the book came out in five. I believe it was being written so they could do sequels, and I'm sure that they they rushed it out. I mean. It, it, we keep saying by today's standards, today's standards, this movie, there's a good chance it would have been rated R. And mm -hmm. there's a real chance that it, it could have either been a prestige movie in the, in the not award worthy, but I mean, like maybe a real director comes in and like 
you get a good lead and you build that tension, you make it super creepy and everyone's like, that's a really well done animal thriller or it would have starred the rock. And (laughs) you know, we already got that movie. (laughs) The rock's bringing back his sign language. Like he already did rampage. So the dude's like, I mean, I'm just saying like someone like that, where it would have been like, this is just an action adventure thing. We're all building towards this. And instead Again, I keep feel like I keep harping on it. It's just there's so many competing interests in this from director, producers, and what probably Hollywood wanted it to achieve that they had a mix, but it wasn't the right mix for me. Yeah. I mean, we can all admit that Dylan Walsh in this is pretty much a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, I liked him and it's interesting. I read that Bruce Campbell auditioned for his role. Yeah. But he didn't get it, so they gave him like the thing at the beginning of the movie. I was like, if Bruce Campbell was in charge of this role, I, it, it would have been so much better. He oh. probably would have been shitting all over John Patrick Shanley's script. Which, by the way, that's amazing that he adapted this. <laughs> right? The Oscar winner of Moonstruck took a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. And so, you know... And about after- six Go ahead. He spent about six hours adapting it based on what, from what I <laughs> pretty, it, pretty it, much did it while he's drunk. Yeah, dude, probably so. <laughs> uh, and so after this hippo scene, the big action scene is where the entire cast of the movie that's in the Congo, they are setting up camp and they have this futuristic laser fence around them with mm-hmm. turrets machine gun turrets that are automatic to motion sensor uh, <laughs> and they get attacked by gorillas. And then it's just, you know, kind of like commando almost <laughs> yeah. it's just going crazy. But like you, there's nothing to the scene. Like we don't know. We just know that gorillas are trying to attack them, but that's it. Nothing really happens. You can't really you can't really see it that well too. You get a couple of flashes of like the gorillas with the lasers on them, but for the most part, it's like it's focused on the the guns. Like it's right. just showing the guns and them shooting, but we can't really see see what they're doing. So that doesn't make it intense. Right. And most of the movie, you know, is kind of shot on location or on a sound stage and it's like less colorful but in that scene it's like turns into like a dance club there's purples and neon blues and greens pink floyd and oranges like it's like dark side of the moon almost i was like what is happening on this set <laughs> we can all agree the turrets the motion sensor turrets are awesome like, well, yeah. are that was i mean when those should have had for these blue lasers i remember this is awesome this is so good and then Gorilla's learning how to just like knock them over so they didn't work anymore. It was great. <laughs> yeah, like great. if they would have grabbed it and it kind of had like this Robocop feel of like th- even they were like m- malfunctioning and then they like spin around and start shooting them. Like something <laughs> like that would have been cool. I-, I guess that's all to say that we should have wrote this movie together. I know I- I'm serious. And I know I've read that there is a- allegedly a deleted scene that is not on DVD. That is not, I don't know where it is, but it's largely there's a DVD or not a DVD, a deleted scene that there is a moment where one of the apes grabs one of the laser guns and uses it. And now I want to see this. And then of course the big climactic scene when they're in kind of this red cavernous rock uh, place and the monkeys and the diamonds, the, the people in the mines, that it all comes to a head. And those are like the three big things, big action moments, beats of this entire movie. And they all kind of happen within, you know, 20 minutes of each other. But before that, it's, again, kind of comedy, romance, drama of the background of the civil unrest in Africa and what's happening. But luckily, luckily... You have Ernie Hudson and cameos by Delroy Lindo to let you know that it's all about the money, boys. Don't forget about Liano. <laughs> oh my God, Joey Pants. Jesus Christ. This movie came out in 1995 and he was still bald. When did this guy have hair, actually? <laughs> when he's a little bit. 
Goonies, maybe a little bit. Yeah, in the eighties. He's wearing a hat. Hmm. Which he was so probably. Oh. Go ahead. Go. What'd you say? Oh, I was so happy when he showed up. Like, what a breath of like. He knew what movie he was in. No, yeah, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's having a good time. He's the driver that just comes in, and he's he, he's your he's your go getter. He's like, oh, you need some Snickers and stuff. I can get that here in two hours, and then just <laughs> mysteriously shows up. Like, it, it, man, this movie needed more of him and Delroy Lindo. And Del, well, Delroy Lindo was so funny because as we talked about earlier, a lot of these side characters, not the main characters per se, but the side characters are layered they're like onions and ogres they are layered because you love them like even delroy lindo who captures all the americans all he he's super friendly he he shoots the shit straight and he all he wants is money but he doesn't want a lot of money he just wants a little bit more money yeah he's like uh when she <laughs> laura lenny's getting the twenty thousand out he's like more and then getting more, it, but just like that kind of beat to him is so great. In addition to probably one of the greatest lines of the whole movie where he says, stop eating my sesame cake to <laughs> Tim Curry. <laughs> and let's talk about Tim Curry as this amazing Romanian guy named Herkermer Homolka. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess I read that her Kermer is the diamond company that supplied those big diamond yeah. crystals. And so they, this character was not in the book. They wrote him in, but her Kermer Homolka Romanian t- Tim Curry is just a bumbling idiot, but oh. he's like likable, but he's an ass, but he's, but I don't even think he's like nefarious. Really? He just wants money, but he wants everybody to have money. <laughs> right. It, it, another example he, he was great he knew what movie he was in he was chewing up the scenery he was having fun and i would have loved to see the um the comedy version of this movie with tim curry and joey pants and delroy lindo all working together to to figure out what's going on he's in this pyramid i i love tim curry in this movie it was such a it was almost like an extended Saturday Night Live skit that he was doing that all of us just had the treat of watching because he he was having just a blast with that character. He was, he was. He was so good because just the way he just exude, exuded himself around everybody, he was a nice guy. He just wanted diamonds. He didn't want everybody to know it. But it was great because if you, if they make he's a, prequels. He's a coward. Yeah, he's kind of like uh, the assassination of Jesse James. Like he's just the coward that wants credit for everything. Like he wants his name to be recognized, even if uh, he just has. He kind of like stumbles his way because there's that bit in the movie where he's like, uh, "Was it Captain Monroe Kelly?" Says like, "I know who you are. Like I saved you before." There's like a history between them because he's like yeah you've done this before and it didn't work out for you and it's only gonna turn out the same and you're just piggybacking on uh a situation that's going on here to get back here and that that's just what it is so he's his confidence is what makes him great but he also has like this like when he's backed into a corner he's really funny kind of like in home alone 2 where he's like put in his place a little bit and he's just like I love you. Like it, it, it kind of has that aspect to him as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's super funny. It's it, it has that, and only Tim Curry, I feel like, could do it and make it work that well. He, I want a prequel movie where because like Delroy <laughs> Lindo and Ernie know this guy and they yeah. hate him. Like they just like this guy's a dickhead. Why are yeah. you with him? And he's just sitting there eating his sesame cake like nothing's wrong. <laughs> oh. He's trying to blend in. He's like doing drinking his tea in the corner kind of guy. Right, right. Oh, it's great. It's great. And then you have, you know, John Hawks in the movie <laughs> as a guy named Bob Driscoll. And you're just like, John Hawks shows up in this movie? And Mary Ellen Trainer, of course, they're going to bring her in like they brought in... Um, 
what's his name? Joey Pants from Goonies, because they're both in Goonies. And Marshall and um, Kennedy were part of that. But it's just great to see these people just kind of show up here. And do you think that Congo at one point was going to be maybe like a Spielberg movie with a bigger, bigger cast, but then it was like, no, we can't get him. So we're going to kind of go smaller budget with it. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if uh, Spielberg, I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine like what those conversations might've been like between him and, and Michael Crichton at the time. And it'd be like, yes, I was really interested in that, but you know, my my interests are elsewhere or maybe at the time he was already developing lost world and he's like i just don't i i'd rather put my focus into to this um and i just don't but i feel like you know frank marshall's been a part of this for and following uh me along my career that i think we could feel confident that he he would be a good person to take it over at least kind of get it where it needs to go but that's my guess what about you dan was was Schindler's List 94? It was I think it was 93, 93. or 90 93. It was 93 because it was the same like Jurassic World uh, Park came out in the summer and then uh that came out uh winter November time, yeah December. Yep. Gilbert was in. I mean I'm I like I said I I am sure that it was once Jurassic Park was successful Everyone was buying up these Crichton uh, scripts, trying to adapt them, getting the rights to these books and trying to crank them out as quick as possible. And I'm sure, I mean, it's Kennedy and Marshall. I'm sure they went to Steven and were like, Steven, you want to do another jungle movie with some animals and an adventure? And, you know, I probably was like, well, I'm working on something else. I've just done that. And also I'm working with Michael Crichton on the sequel to my other hit movie, I don't know if you heard of it, Jurassic Park. So I'm I'm not going to have time to do Congo <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, they, were, I think they were just cranking these bad boys out, and so they were. They said, "Hey, we can put. I don't even know what the the budget was at this point, but put less of a budget behind it. Put it out in the summer. Market it as from the people who brought you Jurassic Park, from the author of Jurassic Park, and let's let's make some cash. Um, I mean, it was it was a moderately big budget for 1990 three you know or 94 it was 50 million dollars that's a pretty big budget back then i would imagine right and it tripled its budget did it make i saw it made it made over 150 million right correct so that's i mean that's not a bad that's not a bad business to be in no it's not not at all um so yeah i i i'm curious on just how much that would be a good question if you had an hour with spielberg Congo, were you involved at all? Did you show up on set? What did you think about the movie? But it would be you got an interview with Steven Spielberg, and that was your first question. <laughs> Congo, <laughs> why? <laughs> Meet you. Yep. Okay. Um, anyway, I want to talk to you about something you weren't involved in, real quick. Congo, <laughs> tell me about it. Because it has all the elements of Spielberg in there, but you know, we digress. Um, so let's talk Wait, about. I got a quick question. If uh, if you if, if you had made this movie, would you have called it Congo or would you call it King Solomon's Mines? I mean, I'm always going shorter, so Congo. I would go Congo because King Solomon's Mines is hard to say. I just got tripped up saying it right there. It's too long. Yeah, I don't know this. It's such a unique title. I guess King Solomon's Mines is not bad, but I, I, feel, I they might have talked about that. They're like, no, Congo, it's easy. Congo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have, the tagline of this was uh, where you are the endangered species. Mm. So it's like, Solomon's Mines, where you are the endangered species, doesn't ring out like Congo. Like, Congo's a great. Congo brings you in. <laughs> Congo does bring you in. Oh, my Come goodness. Congo. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so let's talk about. We all love Amy. We all love how she looked, but we have to talk about just how kind of terrible the gray evil monkeys looked. And reading on this movie, it seems like Stan Winston, all the makeup people, really hated how these monkeys looked because they were getting so many notes from so many people on how they should look that it just kind of ended up 
how it did. That's probably why we don't see them that much. And that's why it's four minutes. Because, because I mean, with Amy, the gorilla and the other gorillas that her, her family, when they get to Africa, they look real. Like they, I was like, man, even like besides a couple of shots, you're like, yeah, that's a gorilla. I can believe it. But with the gray ones, that's man in suit, like 1950s Godzilla style. Like that is easy to see. And even the face that they have just looks like, whoa, what's, what's happening? This doesn't look great. (laughs) It maybe was a product of the time. I don't know. There are spirit Halloween stores with better gorilla masks than those. <laughs> if there was, whether it's budget concerns or too many notes, um, I, I saw the same thing in the, in the trivia or whatever you want to call it about this with Stan Winston and all the people saying they hated it. And the whole thing is you can tell there was a certain point where the director kind of pulled the plug of like, we got to just show these guys and move on from them fast because the more you looked at those albino gorillas that were attacking the worst and worst they looked they looked so bad yeah they they did look bad they just didn't it brought you out of the movie and it became kind of farcical to me um i did however enjoy like i was like oh my god we're kind of getting kind of you know that 2001 space odyssey monkey and then like lightsabers at the end you know like laser swords that are just completely bloodily ripping through things <laughs> and it's like all right there's your star wars there when, i guess when she grabbed that so was that thing already pre-made to turn into a laser sword i i this whole travis industries we really need to sit down and talk about what they sent out they have got they've got motion center gatlin guns to spin around and shoot at anything that laser motion you know perimeter things and then laura linney's in there and she was Buy me some time. I'm building a weapon. (laughs) Give me two minutes. (laughs) Give me two minutes. Yeah. You're just like, where did this come from? How did this happen? But it worked. And then the one thing I still don't get, why did they throw the diamond out of the hot air balloon? Like, just keep it for yourself, you know? Because greed doesn't win, man. Maybe I get it, but like sell it to a diamond store that, you know, in New York where nobody knows about it. You're just like, just make some money off of this horrific 48 hours you just went through. Yeah, I can't see Ernie Hudson realistically going, or his character, Captain Monroe, uh, just being like, well, there goes my paycheck. Uh, like, (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Like, just like something. Right? I, yeah, I, it was a, it was quite a pointless trip to the Congo. (laughs) It was a pointless trip. In the end, and I don't think anybody got what they wanted, except maybe Amy, maybe, because she can talk to gorillas, I guess. I don't know. But you've got the, we we didn't even talk about the volcano or the the lava flow, whatever, like that just, destroy all evidence of any of this any of this ever happening so it's just it was oh it was a mess (laughs) it was a mess well yeah i was trying to figure out like maybe they did the lava because that was easier to simulate you know because they did it practically that wasn't digital lava that was model style it was model it was real real lava But, like, I was like, wouldn't it have been better if, like, the apes chased them out, you know? But they probably couldn't have that in the budget or wouldn't have looked as good as... Because they needed, I guess, you know, their nuclear explosion, you know, climax. And I guess... They could have done, like... Well, I mean, it was kind of, like, a cool visual to know for Amy. Like, she had, like, an emotional connection with the volcano knowing that it was her home. So there was something there already i mean it could have just been something like mummy returns where like things start to collapse or i guess even the mummy like everything starts to collapse and it just sucks and it just completely lost and the sequel sets up and they can go digging for it or something like that um but yeah i don't know is there actually a volcano in congo in central (laughs) africa i don't know that's a great question i didn't even think about that i mean i thought about that it's like is there a volcano in africa but then i just didn't think about that it's like there has there might be who knows i mean kilimanjaro is a mountain right or is that a volcano it's a just a mountain i think okay just a mountain mountain. it's not a volcano so so there is there is a uh volcano act 
uh, out there. That's an active stratovolcano uh, that's in uh, Congo called, I am not going to give it, try it, but maybe uh, Mount Niriagongo. Okay. Um, so, so I guess, I guess there is. <laughs> the, one, the, the one thing that this Amy was pointless in this movie. Pointless. There was no, yeah. there was no for her to be involved in this at all. In the book, and I remember this and I went back and I double checked. In the book, she saves the humans. So the whole point of her being able to communicate and being a gorilla and whatnot is yeah. she's a, in the, in the, she translates as they're like being attacked. We don't get to do laser swords. They're being attacked. And she like translates that they're bad. These are bad gorillas and like speaks with them and then explains to the humans, like y'all need to get out of here. I told them that y'all are going to leave. Everything's good. And there's like, why is Amy in this story? And climax of this thing before the um, volcano erupts. And in this movie, Amy is pointless other than being used for comedic effect um which mm -hmm. is a really weird departure from the book just from michael Crichton's entire book like he created this sign language gorilla in the book and in the movie she's only used for comedic relief and that's pretty much it she well, that, that's anything. that's 90s action right there like we need we need fucking laser swords for this movie we don't can you imagine if i would have loved it even more so now if it ended like the book where it's like, oh, there's a heartfelt moment of Amy using her, her teachings and her, her sign language to communicate. And that was the whole point of getting the apes to communicate like that with the right. two doctors. But in this movie, no, it's fucking lightsabers. We have to do lightsabers. <laughs> right. And I'm not asking for a, you know, a high level moving moment to happen in Congo, but they had the, like when she jumped up and, was protecting yeah. him on the ground while the other apes were were yelling. Like they had a moment there where she could have tried to communicate with them, and and Laura Linney could have come out and been like, "I didn't realize this was happening. Here's my laser sword," and like kind of ruined the moment of her starting yeah. to communicate common ground, and it would have built tension again, and it would have been an interesting way to do it, and given Amy a point in this movie. She had no, there was no reason for her to be there in almost anything that happened. It was. It was a weird departure from the book um, for me. Yeah, because like you said, you can you can feel it in that moment. That's what I thought going back to it. I know I I know I knew it didn't end that way, but like I thought that it was going to probably pick at that a little bit more until yeah, Lori Lenny comes out, and it's just like very abruptly too that she comes out. Or it's just like yeah, sweet moment, fuck all y'all, and then just like <laughs> just immediately that one loses its arm. I was like. He was just standing by. He wasn't <laughs> killing you. He was like, like the Porkins. <laughs> wait for them to threaten you again before. Because, yeah, there could have been that understanding there already. Like, hey, yeah, they're good. And let's get out of the way. We'll have it just in case. But, yeah, that's yeah. the best movie. That in today's world, it would have been, we have a, a mutual understanding. She leaves the diamond behind. And then yeah. Amy's trying and saw these albino apes like, hey, volcano, explode, volcano, explode. And all the gorillas are like, we stay here. And then we watch, and then we kind of feel bad for them as protectors. There's an ecological message. There's all this sort of stuff. Instead, it's, you're losing your arm now, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cut in half. No, yeah, that movie could have gone so many different routes, and it did not. But... At the end of the day, I still have a good time with Congo. It's It fits the time period perfectly, which is weird to say because it's the 90s, but it fit yeah. the time period perfectly. And even if you don't think, in the 90s, if you lived in the 90s and you watched a lot of action movies, you would know that every single big action blockbuster in the 90s was sponsored by Taco Bell. And in Congo, there's a lot of Taco Bell in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like they show it like being eaten they show it like the big like it's in there so i'm trying to remember back then did taco bell like have like congo cups or like amy Probably. toys i'm googling right now i guarantee you they did because i i remember everything with that mcdonald's and batman well well just two weeks just in the same month of congo judge dread 
was um was released and that movie is taco yep. bell basically <laughs> right okay. first of all they had the volcanic burrito a limited run promotional item as okay. the spiciest burrito, and they had they sold watches okay yeah. then there you go so yeah it, it's in there awesome. it's very 90s yeah it's great uh but yeah, I think overall, at the end of the day, I still like this movie, and we don't have a 4K of this yet. We don't have a retrospective of this yet, which I feel like we need. I need Kathleen Kennedy to come back. I need Dylan Walsh. I need Bruce Campbell and Ernie Hudson to come back and talk about this movie. Please, somebody, Arrow, Video, or somebody, Criterion even, bring Conco, because this is... I feel like this movie needs to be seen by new generation because it's just so much fun and has a crazy cast. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's per, like you said. I couldn't have said it better. It's perfect for its time. I have zero complaints about watching it. I just think looking at it through, it's almost it's almost thirty years old at this point, and looking through it with today's lens and the age I am now, there's a lot of things that I would have changed and think it could. It was on the precipice of being a really successful memorable movie instead of something we have one fear and loathing to discuss yeah. whether it's really as bad as people say it is yeah it, it is and i think that this is the coolest role ernie hudson's ever been in and i read yeah. somewhere that this character he played was his favorite character in any movie he's ever done <laughs> and i was like i mean yeah because he's like the epitome of cool in this movie uh yeah but I just, he's so great. And how did he not become a big action star after this film boggles my mind? Because we yeah. all know that Dylan Walsh wasn't going to be like, he was <laughs> just there. That, that pansy. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. Bruce Campbell would have been a better main character choice. But even though I'm glad we got him in this movie. Hang on, I'm looking up to see what... Ernie Hudson followed this up with because that would be important to know. Because yeah. Oz was shortly after this, I think. Oz on HBO, he was the warden. Yeah. You know what's really important, real quick though, that I found is on Etsy they make um oh yeah the watch bands for your watch that completely copy copy the Taco Bell promotional watch <laughs> from the nineteen ninety five movie. <laughs> Oh great! I love it. So, oh, so man. like five people can go like, huh? That's cool to get. I'm not gonna get it. Five. <laughs> yeah. Five. We're three. Of, we're three of them right here. That's, yeah, that's, we're three of just, them. Just three of us. Just two more guys out there. That's it. Dude. Two, two listeners. It's um the the thing that I think we missed out on of this movie not being made in today's world is the behind the scenes of Andy Circus with all the little dots on his face, drinking the martini and smoking the cigar on the plane, because he obviously would have played Amy. Um, <laughs> just, we, we missed out. We really did. We did miss out. Weto was not born yet. <laughs> it, it was not born yet. Weto was still a figment. <laughs> oh. Oh. But yeah, there you go. Fear and Loathing in Cinema is back. We are going to be doing more of these in 2023. Um, I know we ha already have an idea for our next episode, but uh, we thank you for listening. This is Congo. It is streaming on Paramount Plus right now. If you have Paramount Plus, go watch Congo again. It's probably been 20 years since you've seen it, if not longer. And it's a <laughs> blast. Like, it's fun. It's a quick 95-minute movie that you're going to enjoy, even it's if you're... two hours, hours, actually. Wait, it's what? Congo, it's like two hours and like five minutes long. It's 108 minutes. The, the one that I watched said it was like two hours and 10 minutes or something. What? I don't remember sitting through two hours. Did I watch a director's cut? You got <laughs> did, the, did you watch the ape in the space laser scene? Got the yeah, it says cut. one hour and 49 minutes. Huh? I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Uh, you can find... Everybody online, you can find Dan Moran. Dan, what's your what's your handles on social media? Social media. <laughs> I haven't been on social media for two years now, Brian. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, find him anyway. You can find his reviews on Boomstick Comics. <laughs> and then Preston, of course, is Preston Barta, or he's Blu-ray Dad. He's at Denton Record Chronicle. He's at FreshFiction.tv. Find his videos. Find his interviews. Find Preston Barta's interviews because the man knows how to interview people. He just goes in deep and finds out all the stuff you want to know about a movie and characters and actors. He's really great at it. And then of course myself, Brian Kluger, high def digest, uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, do it. This is fear and loathing in cinema. We'll be back. We love you. Go see Congo and hooray, Bruce Campbell.